So we're uh, we're in a series called Glimpses of Glory, and this is the fourth of seven talks in that series. And these glimpses of glory are places in John's Gospel where uh, Jesus performs what John calls a sign. That's his preferred term for miracles. John prefers to call them signs because in John's view, uh, it's not a, a miracle does something, but a sign does something and teaches something. It has a meaning. It's not just that Jesus does a glorious thing. The thing that he does and the way that he does it has, has instructional value for us. And so that's what we've been doing, and this is right in the middle of that series. And the, and the one that we're looking at today is in John 6, where Jesus feeds a multitude. Now, we normally have been standing for the reading of the, of the Bible text, but this morning I'm not going to have you do that because my plan is to read through the text all 70 verses of this chapter, comment a little bit as we go, and then kind of wind up at the end. So you may, uh, I guess we either remain seated or we stand up for the next 35 minutes. So so anyway, uh, so this this feeding of the multitude in John 6, this is the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's fascinating to actually look at the different accounts. And um, so... We're going we're gonna to hear that story. We're going to read that story together. But before we do, I want to tell you another story that connects to this story. So, so about 1,400 years before this miracle, the feeding of the multitude, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. And they'd been there for almost 400 years. They were captive. They were oppressed. They, they were abused. And, and in their sorry state, they cried out to God and he heard them and he raised up a deliverer for them. His name was Moses. And Moses was God's spokesman. And as, as, as Moses spoke on God's behalf, God humbled their oppressor. And on a, on a single day, a day of death, God delivered his people from death and from bondage and from oppression. And, 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 and in the middle of all this, that he had them celebrate a meal. He, he said, you're going to eat lamb and you're going to put the lamb's blood on the doorposts. And, and, and he told them how to eat the meal and what it consisted of. He gave them the menu for the meal. And then he told them after the fact, keep doing this all the time. This is the Passover because it, it's a remembrance of when the angel of death passed over you. Others died, you didn't. And you were liberated and made free. And all of this, you know, points to something in the future that they don't even really know about. But they were delivered, and then they were uh, led through the Red Sea, which opened up for them, and out into the wilderness where Moses led them for 40 years. And, and while they were in the wilderness, they got hungry, and they said, we're hungry. And, and they complained. And the Lord sent bread from heaven, and it came six days a week and never came on the seventh day. And they would go out and they'd pick up food off the ground. And it tasted like coriander seed and honey, which sounds good. And this is how they were. This is how they, and by the way, in fairly short order, they started complaining about it. We're tired of eating the same thing. The bread from heaven, and they complained about it. So, and then... And then Moses prophesied to them and he said, someday 
God is going to raise up for you a prophet kind of like me. And you, you should listen to him. Which I think he was saying, a whole lot better than you've been listening to me. You know, something like that. Well, so that story is in the background and connects to the story that we're going to read right now, beginning in John 6. So let's look at the beginning of the text. Sometime after this, after whatever came before in, in chapter 5, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is also called the Sea of Tiberias. I have two pictures of that for you here. This is also, it's really more of a lake than a sea. It's, it's, uh, it's seven, about seven miles wide at the widest point, 13 miles top to bottom. And you can see on the, on, on your right, there's where it kind of fits into the map of, of the land there in Galilee. Now, if you look at this, if you look at the aerial view shot from space, probably, Jesus kind of like home operating base while he's doing ministry in Galilee was in Capernaum. And that would have been on the west side, on the west upper top. All this is up at the top. He was on the, near, on the west, upper west side of the sea there. Now, the other Gospels kind of who talk about Jesus crossing, they, they suggest, Mark particularly makes this clear, Jesus had been in Capernaum there, and there are massive crowds, and he's healing a lot of people, which causes more people to come. He's in a house. They can't, they can't hardly do anything because there's so many people surrounding the house and wanting their attention. And so Jesus says to his twelve, he says, well, we, need to, we need to have a little retreat. So they get in a boat. And they go across the top of the, of the lake over to the north, over to the northeast side. And, and then they go up from there, you know, into what is now called the Golan Heights. Maybe you've heard of that. So that's where they are. They're up in there. But, but here's the thing. The people saw them get in the boat and they saw the boat head east and they just took off running along the north shore of the lake. And when Jesus and the, and the boat and the guys in the boat get there, there's a crowd waiting for them. And my personal opinion is that some of the disciples swore at that point. Like, but I, it's not in the scriptures, but they were pretty ticked to see the crowd there when they were about to have a one-on-one time with Jesus, you know. But, but anyway, Jesus is compassionate, and he ended up feeding them. So, so back to our text. Uh, next slide. So, Verse 2 says, a great crowd of people followed him, uh, mostly from Capernaum and the surrounding area, because they saw the signs he performed, healing lots and lots of sick people. So Jesus went up on a mountain and he sat down with his disciples. And then he tells us the Jewish Passover fast festival. That's the thing we just described was near, which, which is important. It, it not only tells us what the time of year is, it also kind of informs the way the people were thinking and it turns out a lot of what Jesus says kind of connects to that whole Passover story. So, verse 5 says that when Jesus looked up and saw this great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? He only asked us to test him. He all had, already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Just a bite. So, verse 8. Another of his disciples, 
Andrew, that would be Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, there's a boy here with five small barley loaves and two small fish, fish, but how far will that go among so many? Which actually makes me wonder if he didn't like have like a tiny bit of faith. You know, I mean, if it's too little for a massive crowd, why bother to mention it? But he does mention it. And then verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They all sat down. And the men alone numbered about 5,000. This is a big crowd. 5,000 men plus women and children. Huge group. Jesus took this little bit of food, these loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish, and he gave them, he gave the people as much as they wanted. This is the Jesus, all you can eat, lunch. You can eat as much as you want, you can have. So they ate and ate and ate. And verse 12 says, when they had had as much as they wanted, he said to his disciples, gather all the pieces because nothing is going to be wasted. We're not going to, everything left is gathered up. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten. There's an abundance here. There's an abundance and there's no waste. And actually, it's I think like the 12 baskets, kind of like 12 is sort of the number of the divine government. You know, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus has 12 apostles. And he's basically saying, I've got it. There's enough in me for the whole people of God. All the people. Oh, more than enough, as we just sang for the whole of the people of God. And then they, they, they conserve everything. They're not going to waste anything. And uh, I, I have spent a little bit of time imagining all of the people who were blessed by those baskets. But anyway, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who comes into the world. That's uh, verse 14. They, they may not have been thinking that he was the Messiah, but maybe somebody like Moses, somebody who brings political deliverance, gets us free from the Romans, and gives us lots of free food. I mean, this would kind of be... I mean, what a cool thing. Wouldn't this be? If he could liberate us like Moses did and give us food like Moses did. And it says in verse 15 that Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him the king by force, um, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then when evening came, his disciples went back down to the lake and got into a boat and set off back uh, west across the lake for Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had still not come back to them. They left anyway. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. But verse 19, when they rowed about three or four miles, that is about halfway across, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And I, I noticed this line for the first time. Immediately the boat reached the shore uh, where they were heading, which I would wish that could happen when I take long trips, you know. <laughs> Jesus gets in the car and we're there, you know, but... So now, Jerron is going to be talking about this sign next week. So I'm not going to talk about it much, but let's move on to verse 22, because, because the whole thing that just happened with the feeding comes back up again. So, verse 22. 
The next day, the crowds that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat. And they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had, had blessed it, given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, chased Jesus across the lake to Capernaum in search of him. Now, So now everybody's back on the west side, the northwest side of the lake. And, um, and Jesus spent a lot of time there, and it tells us, this is his home base, and it's going to tell us later on that most of this conversation took place in the synagogue there. And so maybe we should imagine him being there uh, right now. So verse 25 says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So so I'm picturing Jesus in the synagogue and the, the people go to church and they see Jesus at church and they say, oh, Jesus, we're so happy to see you. When did you get back in town? And then Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he says something not very polite about their motives. Here's the absolute truth. You're only interested in me because of the free food. And you don't understand what I'm about. You don't know what I, you're not, you don't see me. You don't know what you've got here. And, uh, so he rebukes them. That was my paraphrase of verse 26. And then he said, don't work for the food that spoils. You know, this is a lot of work for you chasing me back and forth across the lake. He said, don't work for the food that spoils. If you're going to work, Work for the food that endures and produces life eternal. Eternal life in the, in the New Testament is the life of the age to come, which can be experienced now, and it's also life after death. So you, you were dead in sin, you're made alive together with Christ. Uh, if you live long enough, you'll... Well, that was about to be a stupid sentence, but maybe I'll go ahead and say it for your amusement. If you live long enough, you'll die. Okay, and then uh, then you'll you'll live again. So there's life after death after life. You know, there's death and then there's life and then there's death and there's life that goes on and on and on forever. And so he says you should work for this eternal life. It's a it's a qualitatively different way to live in the present, and it lasts forever in in eternity. And so he says that's what you should work for. Which he says the Son of Man will give this to you, uh, for on him. The Father God has has placed his seal of approval. He says him, he means me. On me, the Father God has placed his seal of approval. So he recommends that they think differently about food. The food There's food that lasts and there's food that doesn't last. Food that uh, lasts produces life that lasts. And uh, that's what you should be working for, what you should be looking for. And the Son of Man's the one who gives it. He's the only one approved by the Father to do so. And you know, he's, he's, he's addressing the issue of how we chase after what about our appetites, you know. Um, and our appetites, are they never stay satisfied very long. You know, you, you eat a wonderful meal and then pretty soon you're hungry again. You get healed and then you get sick again. A man gets liberated from one oppressor just to sell himself into some new bondage, you know. And I mean, and there are other appetites and desires that are even more transient. I mean, like, 
If you're like love to be entertained, you know, you just can't quite ever get enough entertainment. So, but there is a food in contrast to that that endures and produces eternal life. And that's what he says we should be hungry for. Hungry for that. That kind of life. Well, their response demonstrates that they either don't recognize it or they're not receiving it. Verse 28, they say, well, you're talking about work, and so let, let's, we'd like to ask you about work. What exactly work does God want us to do? Now, I think maybe like they're viewing him as, as potentially being their new Moses, who delivers and feeds his army with miraculous provisions, you know. And uh, so he's going to be their liberator. And if he wants to redirect their work, that's fine. Their question may mean, hey, listen, Jesus, we really we think you're something. Uh, what are, we just want to help. What will it take to get things going here? We can get want to get some momentum. There's work to do. And Jesus says, this is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent. The, the, the gift is free, and it's received by faith. That's what he's saying. Believe in the one who he sent. And it's still true. The benefits promised by God do not begin with any human action. They follow recognition of what God has done and is doing in Jesus. They don't start with a code of ethics, but with the perfect Perfection, the perfection of the Father and the perfection of the Son. We don't start with activism, but with the nature of the Son's obedience to the Father. We don't begin with commitment to a cause, but with commitment to the perfect man. We don't start by, we don't start by giving, but by recognizing the bounty of the gift that we are invited to receive. That's, that's how it all kicks off. But when Jesus says this, the, the, like the space between him and the crowd just continues to widen. So they ask him, well, okay, you want us to believe? Well, what sign will you give us that we can see and believe, believe you? What can you do? Could you do something? <laughs> I mean, the audacity of this, you know, they've been, I mean, he's, He's shown himself pretty strong, hasn't he? What do you, what can you do? I mean, here's a, just an idea. Our ancestors had daily manna delivered to them in the wilderness. You know, as it's written, he gave them manna, gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> oh, next slide, 32. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, or who gives you the bread from heaven. My Father gave the manna, and my Father is giving you bread today. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And, and still, this, this, so far, they, they can kind of squeeze this into their grid. You know? And so they say, great, please feed us with that every day. Heavenly bread every day, that would be a great, Sign. We'd love that. Verse 35. Then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. So 
Now there are those who do believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Verse 39, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those He's given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. You see, He's not just promising life now. He's saying, I'll do something in the end too. It's my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son, that's me, He says, not me, Tim. Jesus is saying, that's me. And believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. So you see several things here. A clear statement that Jesus is self-aware that He satisfies a basic and universal need of humanity. The Son of Man gives the food that endures, 627. He who comes down from heaven is the bread, 633. I am the bread of life, 635. And Jesus, you see, expands the metaphor to include thirst. And uh, those who, who, have, who Jesus is talking to, they have seen enough that they ought to have believed, but they have failed to believe. But in contrast to those, there are those who, who see Jesus and do recognize Him And those are the ones that the Father gives to Him. And they'll come to Jesus and they'll look to Jesus and they'll feed on Jesus and they'll have eternal life in Him. And and, and the Father will keep those. And Jesus will raise them up on the last day. It's good news for those people, isn't it? Now, it was good news, but of course they're not getting it. So verse 41 says, at this time they begin to grumble about Him. Because He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And, you know, these were the descendants of the people who complained when they were fed with miraculous daily bread in the wilderness. So they kind of inherited their disposition. They weren't bothered really that Jesus claimed to be bread, but claiming to have come down from heaven caused their eyebrow. They raised their eyebrows and looked at each other and shook their heads and said, verse 42, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And you know, here's the deal. They think they know where he's from, but they don't. They think they know who his father is, but they don't. And I think at this point, the disciples, his own disciples, his twelve, are basically thinking, um, Jesus, you're about to lose him here. Or, like, I wish you'd run this sermon by us before you'd preach this one. In public, we could have made some suggestions. But Jesus doesn't back up. Jesus doesn't slow down. He just like presses in further. Verse 43, Stop grumbling among yourselves. Nobody can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Listen to this sentence. This is audacious. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to Me. That's going to tick some people off. 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He's talking about Himself. Only He has seen the Father. 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He goes on in verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. But there is the bread that comes down from heaven, which he just said he was. If anybody eats that, they will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. 
What? This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And at this point, I think the disciples are thinking, well, you've done it now. There's no salvaging this. And the Jews, verse 52, begin to argue sharply. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, sometimes when you read the way people respond to Jesus, you think, how much of what he said did they hear? You know, they, they know what they, they, they know what they want and they're hoping Jesus can provide it, you know, and uh, maybe they don't hear anything fairly early on. It's like you, 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 your ability to hear gets clouded by your own desires and expectations. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't make it any easier. He basically says, oh, you want bread? Chew on this. And then says stuff that's even harder to understand. Very truly, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Okay, this, this is not going to work. I mean, it's against the law for them to drink blood. This is the, it's against their law. The law of Moses, you can't, you're not even supposed to eat the meat if there's too much blood in it. So, they're checking out. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise them up on the last day. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. He just keeps going. 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. This is not going over well. I love that phrase though. That if we feed on Him, He'll be in us and we'll be in Him. That's a wonderful concept. I'm hidden in Christ. And by the Spirit, Jesus is living in me. It's wonderful. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I can almost imagine him saying, whoever feeds on this bread, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. You know, this idea, you know, it's, it may be baffling to us as well. Like, what does he mean when he says, eat the flesh and drink the blood? But if you compare, like verse 40, where he says, anybody who looks to the Son of Man and believes in Him, now listen to this, shall have eternal life and I will raise him up. And then verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up. So essentially, the end of both of those sentences is the same. In other words, what it means to eat the flesh and drink the blood is to look at the Son, believe in Him, believe in what He has accomplished, do whatever He says, and try your best to be just like Him. You know, you'll need Holy Spirit power. They don't know much about that yet. But this is what, this is what He's calling them to, to, to like, Accept what's being given and then allow it to transform them into the image of the one who gave it to them. You know? And so that's what he's asking them to do. Now, this passage will remind us of the Lord's Supper. Um, and, 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 and later on, when they celebrate the Passover not long from now, Jesus will say, as he breaks the Passover loaf, 
This bread, this Passover bread is my body and this cup is my blood. And because of that, some people basically have taught, there are churches that teach that when Jesus says, what Jesus says here in John 6 is basically saying, the way you stay alive spiritually is to make sure you get Holy Communion every week. And maybe more often than once a week. I mean, you do know that. It's, you know, you gotta take the elements. The elements is the life is in the elements. Okay, I don't, I don't believe that. But, but what I do believe is that communion preaches the same sermon that Jesus is preaching in this chapter. Which is, which is that it's all in Him. It's in His broken body and His spilled blood and in our participation in that. Our, like taking it into ourselves that actually we experience eternal life. And we're, we're transformed into His image. So, where are we? I guess we're up to verse 60. On hearing this, many of His disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that His disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? Which, yeah, they will. They will. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Sixty-four. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. And He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time on, many of His disciples turned back and they no longer followed Him. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Hey guys, what did I do wrong? I think I said I must have made a mistake or something because like everybody's gone. Oh, wait, did Jesus say that? No, he didn't. He said, well, what about you guys? You want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, where would we go? You're the one with words eternal life. And I love 60, verse 69. He says, we have come to believe. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Maybe, maybe that, that's, you want to do that? We want to do that together? You want to say that one together? Start with the words, we, yeah. Where are we? That's it. That's right. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Amen. Well, then, when he said that, when Peter said that, Jesus said, thank you, Peter, that's the nicest thing anybody said to me today. Oh, wait, no, that's not what he said. He said, didn't I choose you twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? This is like Jesus, this is like Jesus at his most offensive, I'm thinking, in this chapter. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So, 
This is the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, and it's a sign, and the sign is that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. That's the, that's the message. That's what we're supposed to learn from the miracle. I love this prophecy from uh, Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 31. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty. Woo! Gives me goosebumps. We will be filled with his bounty. All of you is more than enough for all of me. You're my supply, the bread of life, more awesome than I know. There's more than enough in you. More than enough for the whole of the people of God. All of the riches of heaven are made available to us in Christ Jesus. He's given us His very Spirit to live inside us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just in forgiving our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. He leads us. He protects us. All that we need is found in it. He feeds us. He allows us to like look at Him and learn from Him and take Him into ourselves and be transformed by that. And as we do that, it becomes increasingly clear that we're living the life of the kingdom of heaven and that we're going to spend our eternity with Him in heaven. It becomes increasingly clear to us. So, that's wonderful good news, and I just wanted to note that there are a variety of responses to that news in this chapter. Like, here's one. Many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him, which is sad. There are two reasons they didn't follow Him that I can tell. One is, they had... They had in their mind a set thing that they wanted him to do. And he didn't conform to their expectations. So that's one one reason. But the other reason that they turned and left is because he said things that they couldn't understand. Right? They were just baffled. Oh, it was offensive. It was offensive. They didn't understand him. They were offended by him. And he didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I, I, I want to tell you that if you decide to follow Jesus, you can't make him do what you want to. You can't make him do what you want to. And the other thing is, you may find what he decides to do or what he says a little bit confusing from time to time. I mean, Peter didn't say, Oh yeah, that was all crystal crystal clear to me. There were things in this sermon Peter's not going to understand until Jesus has gone back to heaven. But he said he did know who he was. And based on that, he made his commitment. I, I think the next slide, I want to see this next slide. This is a quote from Anselm of Canterbury, who lived a very, very long time ago, Bishop of Canterbury. He said, I do not seek to understand in order to believe. I believe in order to understand, for I believe this. Unless I believe, I will not understand. (laughs) There's been enough evidence for you to latch on to Jesus with both hands, heart, and soul. And, And really, that's the beginning place for however much understanding you ever eventually get. So, what's the next slide? 
fact of this, many of the disciples turned back. But then there's the next group. There's Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Which means that actually even among the company of those who stick, there are those who won't. And that's a cautionary note there. That we just want to pray, God, that none of us are that person. None of us are the one who basically is harboring some idol in our hearts that will eventually lead us to betray the master who loved us. And then then there's the third group, and this is the one I want us to be in. The one who says, Lord, there's no place else to go. You have the words. You're the one who has life. You are the bread from heaven. We know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is the bread. And I commend to us that we believe in the one that God sent, that we eat the flesh and drink the blood, meditate on him, and stick with him whether we understand him or not.